Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy Allen, and I uh, got a rousing introduction by Tim Van Dollen, who said I'm one of the guys. Um, not 100% sure what that means, but uh, I'm one of the guys. So uh, hopefully there's a lot of other guys out there. Um, so, but uh, grateful to be here this morning. Uh, glad that you have chosen to come and uh, worship with us this morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, not sure how many of <clears throat> You know, travel or being here, but just thank you for coming and worshiping on um, uh, with us here at Calico Community Church. And so um, this morning, I um, just wanted to continue to, on our series uh, called Simply Jesus, and I'm going to be wrapping that up. And uh, thank you, Steve. Yes, I left the clicker in the back. Um, I'm going to continue to wrap up uh, the first part here of Simply Jesus, uh, and we've been traveling through the book of Mark. And so uh, we're going to come to a point where it's going to be a little bit of a <clears throat> transition point. We'll come back to Mark a little bit later uh, in the spring. So DTR. Anybody know what DTR stands for in the midst of all of our different initials? There's probably a fair amount of young adults and uh, students in the room, so maybe you can help some of us older uh, folks out. You know, there's SMH. There's LOL, there's BTW, right, BTW, by the way, shaking my head, right, laugh out loud or lots of love, I don't know, pick your one for LOL. I always thought that it was lots of love, but then people tried to tell me that they were laughing at things and it all just didn't make any sense to me uh, until my children said, no, dad, it means uh, laughing out loud. So anyway, <clears throat> but DTR, any ideas? For those of you in the room that are male, most of you probably have spent a lot of your life uh, trying to avoid a DTR conversation. Most of the time, a DTR happens in the midst of a romantic relationship because we're trying to avoid a define-the-relationship conversation, right? We don't necessarily want to define the relationship because maybe it's not necessarily headed where we want it to head, or maybe it's not as far along as we want it to be, or... Maybe the other person thinks it's farther along than what we want it to be, right? So depending upon where you are in uh, your relationship with other people, um, you're going to have to have a defined relationship. And if that conversation goes well, it may look a little bit something like this. You know, the woman's holding onto her hair. She's smiling. Everybody's leaning in. Everybody's engaged, right? Maybe this is going to happen. But everybody's happy. This DTR conversation is going well, Right? However, how many of you have had a possible opportunity where this DTR conversation may be a little bit awkward? He doesn't really know what to say. She's looking down at the table. Right? It just isn't going terribly well. Okay? And so this DTR talk isn't really going the way that either one of them potentially wanted it to go. Well, today we're going to find ourselves, and we're going to have to ask ourselves this question, because I believe that Jesus is desiring to have the DTR talk with you. The young adult group recently went through a group called Not a Fan, and in that, Kyle Eidelman indicated this whole idea that Jesus doesn't necessarily want fans. He doesn't necessarily want a lot of people that know a lot about him or wave a lot of banners and wave a lot of posters and are fans of Jesus, right? He's really looking for followers. He's looking for disciples. And so Jesus is going to ask us to define the relationship this morning. So 
we're going to continue on. And this morning, I'm going I'm to release the package, if you will. I'm going to open up the Christmas gift early, and I'm going to give you my main point, because I think that if I give you the main point of what I, what I think we're going to try to accomplish this morning, it will define or give us an outline as to where we want to go. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge you to say that I don't believe that you can merely add Jesus to your life, but you must offer your life to him. Okay? You can't just say, this is my life, this is what I have. I have all of these things. I've got work, I've got you know, family, I've got baseball practices and soccer practices and wrestling practice and worship practice and serving at my church and helping these people out and mowing the lawn and taking care of the yard. I've got all this different stuff in my schedule. Okay? And some of us want to say, hey, I'm just going to add Jesus in. And if I can make it at 9.30 on Sunday morning, I'm good. If I can make it on a random Tuesday at 8 o'clock for small group, I'm better, right? Because I've got Jesus on Sunday, I get Jesus on Tuesday, and if I add in another group, you know, I'm just, I'm good. Those are the slots by which I can put Jesus into my life. And you've told Jesus inadvertently, that's the relationship that I want with you. I'm giving you Sunday mornings, Tuesday nights, but that's kind of where we are. And I'm going to challenge you that Jesus says, no, 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 you can't just add me to your life, but you have to, I want you to offer your life to me. And that is a fundamental shift. And it fundamentally wants you to determine what is my relationship with Jesus. So for those of you who happen to need a Bible or want to follow along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. It's uh, page 220 in the Bibles in front of you. Uh, those of you who have a device, feel free to follow along on your device. But we're going to walk through this passage, and it really is a turning point. Okay? Here in Mark 27, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? And being awesome, great Christians, his disciples had really good answers. And in verse 28, he says, they respond, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. So they had all the answers. But then Jesus got a little bit more involved, and he said, Okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you know what, I'm going to speak up. And he's going to say that you are the Messiah. So there it is. It has been determined. It has come out. It has an answer. Jesus is the Messiah. Peter has defined him and claimed him. And for the first eight chapters of Mark, we have been leading up to this point. We have been walking through various miracles that Jesus has done, healings, calming of the waters, and a whole bunch of other things have come to say, who is Jesus? And here Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah. You are Lord. You are the Son of God. Okay? So it's now been claimed. And at this point, this question is, okay, if Jesus is the Son of God, the question then is, what kind of ruler will he be? What kind of Christ will he be? And that's going to be defined later, but that's what we're going to have to walk through because Jesus today is going to give us some of those insights. So Peter asked that question, or Peter answered and said, Jesus said, okay, but he warned them to be quiet. He warned them not to tell anyone about them. And it's interesting if you wonder why would he do that. And I think we're going to get a glimpse of that as we go down through the story. But the reality is that Jesus wasn't sure that they fully understood. I don't think that Jesus knew that the disciples didn't necessarily fully understand or grasp 
what it meant by the fact that he was the Messiah. And so he had to continue to teach them, all right? So at this point, we are challenged by the fact that Jesus is asking to you, to his disciples, and to me, who do you say that I am? And depending upon how you answer that question will help for you to define the relationship that you have with Jesus. If you merely add Jesus to your life, then he probably is just another teacher, okay? He probably is maybe an influencer in your life or a cheerleader in your life, or maybe a life coach. He's somebody that you listen to, you come here Sunday mornings, maybe a small group, you get some information, and that is where he is. That's the role that he plays, because you've just added him in in certain spots. Mark, I don't know if it's possible if, uh, to get it on the back screen, just FYI. Um, depending upon, though, what you're, if you have a different answer, or if you offer your life to him, okay, then... <clears throat> Jesus is asking you to acknowledge that he is the Son of God. So if you're going to offer your life to Jesus, then you have to acknowledge, like Peter did, and you have to say, yes, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are Lord. And if you answer it that way, it's going to fundamentally change potentially the way that you would address your life. Because we're talking about adding Jesus in or we're talking about Jesus being the hub and the center of everything because he's the son of God and he is the Lord. So we're going to walk through what that will look like. As we continue on in Mark 31, 831, it says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. So Jesus here begins to tell the disciples what kind of king he is going to be, right? And that he is going to be one that potentially will need, that needs to suffer and be rejected and be killed. So he foretells the future about what is coming, right? He plainly spoke about this. Jesus was very confident about that. And at this point, Peter says, I'm gonna, Peter took him aside and begins to rebuke him. Why would Peter do this? Why would Peter rebuke Jesus? Not long ago, Peter gave the right answer and said, no, you're the Messiah. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stake a claim. I'm going to put a flag in the ground. This is who you are. Then Jesus continues on and talks about suffering and sacrifice and being rejected. And Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to pull you aside. Jesus is not who you are. It's not who you are. Why would Peter believe this? Peter has been looking for a Messiah. The Jews have been looking for a Messiah for thousands upon thousands of years. And they want somebody to come in and to rule and to bring all their power, all their might, all their armies. That's the ruler they want. That's the king they want. That's who Peter has in his mind. This is who you are. This is who's going to be. You need to get rid of all of this oppression that we have been under. That's the Messiah. That's the person that we want and need. What are you talking about? That you're going to suffer and be rejected and die? Whoa, 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 Jesus, that's not who you are. So Peter strongly rebukes Jesus. How many want to guess how Jesus responded? Mark 8:33 says, But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He felt it was very important for him to address the situation in public. And he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he says. 
You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Right? That's a pretty strong statement. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, he's treating Peter as if he's demon-possessed at this point and rebukes him and says, hey, dude, you got a demon, you got to get out of here. You are speaking absolutely nothing that is true. The strongest of strongest rebukes, okay? And the reason he says that is says, you do not have in mind the things that I have in mind. You're not in tune with me and my father. You don't have those concerns. You're merely thinking about yourself and what you want and the ruler that you want. You can't just fit me into a box, Peter. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's partially why he gave them that warning a little bit earlier, because they didn't have the full picture, and he didn't want them talking about some different things until he gave them the full picture. Okay? But Jesus wants Peter to understand that he doesn't have the mind of Christ. He doesn't have the mind of things on the Father. How many of you can say that's true about you? I know I can. I don't always think about the bigger picture. I don't always understand all of those things. But Jesus is calling us to say, listen, this is what is going to happen. I must suffer. I need to be rejected. I need to die. That's the kind of king I'm going to be. And I'm about to model something for you that I'm going to ask you to do some things as I follow up on that. Okay? And so these are the things that I'm going to want you to follow. All right? So as we continue to think about this, is that if you try to add Jesus to your life, you're not going to fully understand his purpose or his calling. You're not going to understand that bigger picture because you only come on Tuesday mornings or Sunday mornings or maybe a Saturday night or you go to an activity. right? If you're just adding Jesus to your life, okay, if you're just fitting him in in certain spots and that's the time that you focus on Jesus, then you're not going to fully understand his purposes. You're not going to have his mind in. But on the flip side, if you offer your life to Jesus, sacrifice may or will be required. Right? Jesus has just said that. Listen, I must come and I must, be, I must suffer. I must be rejected and I must die. Jesus is telling the disciples that this is going to happen. And in some senses, he's saying, if you're going to be and acknowledge me as Lord, this is the model. This is the example. This is what I'm going to show you. It's sacrifice. And so at some point, sacrifice may be required. Now Jesus wants to have a bigger message, not just to the disciples and to Peter, but he calls the whole crowd together. Here in verse 34 he says, Then he called the crowd to him and along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Jesus has some pretty strong words here. Okay? He also says, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Right? So Jesus is saying, wait a minute, first and foremost, I'm going to call you together, right? And in verse 34, he says, look, I'm going to ask you that you need to deny yourself. I want you to take up your cross, and I want you to follow me, right? Then he talks about losing your life, you'll gain it. What can I gain, but I'm going to forfeit my soul? What can anybody give in exchange for their soul, right? 
all of these concepts. Because if we think about some of these things, like we think about gain, gain is good, right? Nothing wrong with gain. I want to make money. I want to get ahead in life. I want to get some of these. Gain is great. But at what cost? If I get a whole lot of gain, but I'm going to lose my soul or forfeit the world, is that really something that I'm willing to pay? Is that gain good? Even before that, when he lays out his three things and he says that I want you to deny yourself, I want you to take up your cross, and I want you to follow me. Jesus is really saying here that this is the model by which I want you to be my disciple. This is the relationship that I am calling you into, right? So if we're going to have this DTR conversation, and I'm going to ask you to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Well, when you answer that question, you better understand that there are going to be some things that I believe that I'm going to model for you that are going to define what that relationship looks like if you acknowledge that I am the Messiah, okay? So I have really struggled, not really struggled, but I have really tried to process through to you what, what can I give you, what can I say to you to say, what does this denial of yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus look like? Right? Because I don't believe, though it's really, you know, these are, these are decisions, I don't believe this is a decision between, hey, am I going to go get that strawberry salad or am I going to get the double cheeseburger and fries, right? I don't think that that's, you know, I'm going to deny myself this and take up this. I don't, I don't believe it's that simple, okay? I think that it's a little bit stronger and it's a little bit more meaningful than that. And I think oftentimes when we think about our lives, when we think about this and this concept of adding Jesus to our life or offering our lives to Jesus, a lot of it comes down to the way in which we've built our life. Meaning that as we build our life, and as you look at your schedule, and if you look at the things and the roles that God has called you to play, or the things for you to be involved in, at various times, Jesus is going to give you an opportunity. He's going to give you something and say, I want you to say yes to this. This is an opportunity for you to pick up your cross. This is something that I need you to step into. We talk about next steps here at CCC, and I don't know what that next step is in different things, but maybe it's baptism, maybe it's leading a small group, maybe it's you know, just taking out, uh, getting an opportunity to be a, a, a mentor to somebody or helping out in a different group, but I'm going to give you an opportunity, whether it's here at CCC or someone else, I want to give you an opportunity to take this cross from me, to take this opportunity to further my kingdom, to speak into these things. And how often have we been presented with that opportunity and sometimes we have just felt like we have to say no because we can't add one more thing. Our schedule just doesn't have one more slot. I don't have two more hours. I don't have another day. I don't have an opportunity to do this. And so even though we've been given this opportunity to say yes to Christ, to pick up our cross and carry him in whatever fashion that may look like, we have to say no. And then we get filled with feelings of shame and guilt and disappointment because, oh, I've let Jesus down, right? But oftentimes, if Jesus is giving you an opportunity to say yes to something, he oftentimes is also asking you to say no to other things. Or in order to set yourself up to be able to say yes, you have to say no to other things. Meaning you need to evaluate your schedule. And if your schedule and your life is set up in such a way where there is no margin for Jesus to interrupt your life, then you're just adding Jesus to your life. You haven't offered him your life. So what are those things that Jesus is asking for you to do? And unfortunately, the backside of that is there's going to be things that have to fall out the back depending upon what Jesus is asking for you to do based upon your relationship and your roles and where you live. For example, and for me, you know, this recently, uh, Kara and I got presented with an opportunity to bring and to open up our home. 
uh, to a family member. And we were given this opportunity, and we just felt very strongly that this was an opportunity that we had to say yes to. This was something that was just un, it was impossible for us not to say yes. Unfortunately, at that time, our life really wasn't set up to accommodate this yes. We had said yes to too many things, and sometimes you get to that point. But this one was so big and so important that we then needed to say yes, so we did. And then what that required is it required a whole lot of no's on the back end. And it required us for even to back out of certain commitments that we had already made. And so that decision had a cascading effect down upon many, many other things. Relationships, appointments, schedules, travel, you name it. It had a cascading effect down. But Jesus presented us with an opportunity for us to say yes. But the back end of that was, you know what, you're going to have to clear some things out. Okay? And it's not really a denial, but it's really just more, what are those things that I'm saying, you know what, this is where I want you to go, and I need you to back away from these things. No matter, it may be painful, it may be hurtful, it may have to happen. I don't know what that is in your life. I can only speak for us. We've had some of these things happen. But Jesus gave us a yes. And so we said, you know what? We're going to take up our cross and we're going to follow him because I believe that Jesus is one that was a welcoming, hospitable, bring people in. And so we're doing that. But it has a cascading effect on your life. But it's a difference of whether or not you're adding Jesus to your life or whether you're offering Jesus your life. Maybe there's just something, you know, we have up here this verse 37 that, you know, what would you give in exchange? Maybe there's something that you're holding on to, and I don't know what that is, that you're just holding on to something. No, Jesus, I just can't give you that. You can have all these other things, but I will not give this up. I'm going to hold on to it. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that for you. But maybe there's something that you're holding on to. Maybe there's a limit that you have placed and just said, you know what, I won't go there. That's a yes, Jesus, that I just can't give you for various reasons. I don't know. But that's kind of what I believe this denial and taking up your cross and following Jesus looks like. It's a series of no's to build margin for when Jesus wants to interrupt your life, or it's a yes, and then it's a backing out of some other things because you really have to move in this area. But it's really a reevaluation of the foundation by which you have built your life and built your schedule. Are you just slotting Jesus in, or is he at the hub? So adding Jesus to your life overall, though, will cost you nothing salvation is free. You can pray the prayer. You can, the gift is free. Jesus is there for you. He wants to give you that gift. It's going to cost you nothing. However, if you offer your life to Jesus, it will eventually cost you something, possibly everything. And so why is this important? Because Jesus modeled this. He indicated and he said, look, this is the model I have, okay? And I think that he set up life in such a way that you are the happiest, that you have the most joy when you are serving, when you are giving. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that, you know, <clears throat> I have not come to serve, but I have not come um, to be served, but I have come to serve. Okay? Jesus came to serve us. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Okay? That's what he's calling us to. He's also calling in the back end of Matthew, also has you know, what we have deemed the Great Commission. You know, Therefore, go out and make disciples among the world, world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? These are the crux. These are the foundations. These are the things that Jesus has built his life upon. And so he is modeling that for us. And he's saying, look, this whole picture of discipleship, as I follow what my Father wants me to follow, requires sacrifice. For me, it's my life. I'm giving my life for you. 
so that you can have salvation. That was Jesus' price to pay, and he did it gladly. He did it for me. He did it for you. He does it for everyone. I don't know what the cost is that he's asking you to give or what that sacrifice will look like, but if you offer your life to him, it may cost you something, and it, may cost, it possibly may cost you everything. Some of you in the room may not fully understand what this is. All right? This is a blank check. All right? For those of you probably under the age of, say, 30-ish, you may not even understand what a check is. And Lord, oh man, I'm not even going to put up a check register, okay, whereby you actually track, okay, because uh, you probably have an app for that, all right, and uh, what that looks like. So, you know, but this is a blank check, all right? And these are things that, you know, really old people like myself and others, you know, use to say, you know what, I'm willing to pay and I have this amount of money and I'm going to give this to you, Okay. And if I write it out and I say pay to the order of and I put a dollar amount, I put limits on this check. I'm going to give this to you, but I'm only going to give you this amount. This is all I'm giving to you. Okay? However, when you give a blank check and you sign it, okay? I'm going to pick on Mark. If I sign this check and I hand this blank check over to Mark and I say, hey, Mark, here's my blank check, buddy. There you go. Mark now has the opportunity to clean me out. Take me for everything I'm worth. Just leave me with nothing. He wouldn't. But he could because I've given that to him. I said, you know what, Mark, here you go. Right? If you're married, sometimes you give that to your spouse. and say, Hey, here you go. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you everything. Here's my blank check. You have it all. You can clean me out. Okay? That's what Jesus is asking for. He's asking for a blank check. He doesn't want a check filled out. He doesn't want to just have a check. Jesus, $1,000, that's my limit. That's where I'm willing to go. No, no. He's, he says, no, 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 I need you to sign it. I need you to offer me your life, follow what I've done, and, and, and give me a blank check to show that you've done it. Okay? That's a scary proposition. It's risky. However, Jesus speaks to that. In Mark 38, he says, Verse 38 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in this Father's glory with the holy angels. This is a pretty strong statement. Jesus is kind of saying, hey, look, if you're going to be ashamed of me at some point, you know, don't be surprised if I'm ashamed of you, right? And the idea here is, in my opinion, the way I want to lay it out to you is that I think if you put limits on where you're, allowed, where, you, where you're allowed to take Jesus or where you're willing to take Jesus or go in your relationship with Jesus, then you know what? There's going to come in your time where you're not, where you're going to potentially be ashamed of him. You're probably going to be ashamed of him. Maybe it's with your friends and you're not willing to speak to them about your relationship with Christ because you're fear and afraid of rejection or you're just not willing to do it at your workplace or in this situation. Many of us just came from Thanksgiving meals and I guarantee you if you were like me, well, your mom called you and said, hey, by the way, Religion, politics, off the table, right? Can't talk about religion and politics because we don't want, to, uh, don't want to have offense. We just got to get through the next four hours. Let's stuff our faces and move on, right? But the point being is if you put limits on what you're willing to do, limits on conversations, limits on things you're willing to do, limits on places you can go, then you're saying, you know what, Jesus, hey, you know, I'm not willing to go here because I'm going to be rejected you know, by these people. I'm going to get you know, made fun of over here or I'm going to be, you know, uh, this is going to be really difficult, so I'm just not willing to go here. And Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, that's fine, but 
know that I potentially have the right on the back end. The idea here is that if you add Jesus to your life, it's going to require a limit. You're trying to minimize your risk, right? You're not willing to go all in. You're trying to minimize that risk. I'm going to fill out the check, give it to Mark, but I'm only going to go 500 bucks. I'm going to limit my risk because you know what? I don't really trust him. He might clean me out, so I'm going to put a limit on that, okay? I'll write, maybe I'll write somebody else another check for a little bit more because I trust them more than Mark, but I still got a limit, okay? What am I doing? I'm minimizing my risk because I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of getting cleaned out. I'm afraid of being exposed. I'm afraid of not being included. We got a great fear of that. Students out there, how many decisions do you make because you're afraid of being rejected by a group of people that you really solely and really deeply want to get into? You want to be accepted. We all do. It's a deep desire of our heart to be, re- to be accepted. And if we offer our life to Jesus, then we can trust him. Oh, then we can trust him because it requires risk. But we can trust him knowing that we are accepted. He died for us. He's accepted us. And if I truly believe that, and if I know and I can live with the fact that Jesus has accepted me, then it will outweigh any other risk that I have to take because I know Jesus has my back. Jesus has said, it's okay. Go ahead and risk this. I want you to say yes. And I know it may cost you something, but trust me. Trust me because I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Emphatically. And so know that on the back end that you're accepted. And by being accepted by Jesus is more important than the possible rejection that I may fear. And in fact, that rejection may be protecting us from something that we don't even know. But if you offer your life, it does require risk, just like a blank check. You have to trust him knowing that you are accepted. All right, Jeremy, get to it. We're 30 minutes in. What's the point? How am I going to walk out of here? Okay? And so, you cannot add Jesus to your life. You have to offer your life to him. What does that mean? What do you want me to do? How do I do that? Two things. I apologize, I didn't get them on a slide, so you might have to write them down on that blank piece of paper. Number one, ask people close to you this week. What's important in my life? What's important? They're going to answer that question for you. And by the way they answer that question, you'll begin to identify the things that you've put in your schedule and the way that you've built your life that shows that is important, whether it be by time, money, or other ways that you have said that these things are important to me. You have these people who know you best, a spouse, a close friend, a brother, a sister, best friend, whatever that looks like, they're going to know. They're going to know where you have invested your money, your time, energy, all those things. And through that, they're going to be able to say, yeah, these are things that I think are important to you. Okay? Ask them. They'll be able to tell you. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to do your own evaluation of your own schedule. Is it so busy that you only have Jesus in certain slots? Sunday, Tuesday, maybe a Saturday, right? That's where I got Jesus. Okay, that's where I can fit him in. I got no other margin. I got, I'm busy on Tuesdays, I'm busy on Wednesdays, I'm busy on Thursdays, I'm busy on Friday. You know what? If I get offered another opportunity to come, Jesus, I just, I can't say yes. You got no margin to build into your life to allow Jesus to interrupt your life so that when he asks you, to take up a cross, you're not going to be able to say yes. And if that's the case, then I'm going to, I, I apologize, I know it's Thanksgiving, but I'm going to tell you, you didn't offer your life to Jesus. You just added him to your life. 
and it only fit into your schedule at a certain time, at a certain place, and it had limits. That's not what Jesus modeled. Jesus' love was unconditional. It was sacrificial. He paid the ultimate price for everyone in this room. Ask people around you, evaluate your schedule. And I'll leave you with this. It's the turning point. C.S. Lewis, popular Christian uh, author, once said that Jesus made so many claims and said so many things that you only have three options. Some of you probably already know where I'm going. Jesus is either a liar and the whole thing is just a big facade. He's a lunatic and completely crazy. Or he is the Lord who Peter said he was. And when you answer that question in your life, you will define your relationship with Jesus. And if you agree with Peter that he is the Lord, he wants you to offer your life to him. A life that is sacrificial, one that he modeled, one that is literally built upon love. And love requires sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity that we all have to be here. Father, I thank you for Jesus' example. He asks us to follow him, but he doesn't do it blindly. He says, (laughs) I will show you the way. That way is of sacrifice. That way is of love. And sometimes that way requires some suffering. But I'm going to model it. I'm going to show you. We have to follow. Father, I just thank you that you loved us so much that you did pay the ultimate price. And it may not be the way that we wanted it to happen. You may not have come in on a horse, but I do believe that at some point in time that you will fulfill that power. You will fulfill that great and mighty power when your son returns. But right now, we are called to love, just as you loved us. Father, be with everybody today as they process through what their relationship with you looks like. And they'll have to come to that. And I just pray that you'll give them wisdom, you'll knowledge, but I pray you'll give them courage. Courage to process through what the relationship with you looks like. And whether or not you're asking them to make a fundamental shift and not just add you in, but offer their lives to you. 